0: Nick W., and Jackie A. Returning to the show today, Mr. Cal Everett, President, CEO, and Director of Liberty Gold. Liberty is focused on advancing the Gold Strike Utah project as well as the new discovery success, Black Pine, Idaho. Of course, these projects are both in the Great Basin, United States. The company is listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol LGD, and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol LGDTF. Mr. Everett, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: Well, Cal, thoughts on the broad gold market here and the natural resource sector in general?
1: Well, on the broad gold market, I find it interesting because I think over the last, just a short period of time, over the last two weeks, I was looking at it this morning, how you'd be looking at the offshore gold market, and it would be up, and then the North American gold market would go down as soon as it would open. Now, the reverse has happened over the last 10, 14 days, where the offshore market might be down 5 or $10. And then it, it's. Oh, when I looked at it earlier this morning, it was down around $8 around three hours before the opening, and now it's up $12, $13 an ounce. So we're seeing a reversal in the U.S. market to moving the gold price higher, and even though the offshore markets were leading it for a wh- for a while, now there's a complete reversal in that trend. So that is when you see that kind of trend, that brings into more buying from the from the larger North American markets into this sector. Um, and be- beyond that, um, it's once you hit September. September seems to be a good start for the fall rally in the gold price, and everything seems to be falling in line with what we've seen over the last several years.
0: And Cal, just expand a little bit here, just your thoughts on other areas you're watching in natural resources. I know you pay uh, attention to other things rather than just gold. I know it's a big focus, but uh, thoughts on where we are in the sector as far as some of the other metals. And then also uh, your thoughts on sentiment here with regards to capitalizations, uh, people being able to get financing, money kind of sloshing around in the system. Uh, what's your thoughts here?
1: Sure, on the on the overall metal market, Gold and silver seem to be uh, aligned uh, tightly here and they're moving in, in sync. Um, still really pay attention to the copper market because as if if the Fed is saying they're not gonna raise interest rates and are promoting inflation over the next five years, and we can see that in Canada today and in Europe, and we see the effect of, uh, of a virus uh, a stricken planet and the need to create jobs. So I think the copper market looks extremely strong here. And especially copper in association with gold, if you can find any of those two elements coming together into a major uh, porphyry system or a volcanogenic massive sulfide system, uh, then I think you're gonna, those are the, are the equities that you're going to have to pay attention going forward. With regards to equity financing, there's a lot of money on the street and um, and it goes back to people who are investing their capital. They really need to pay attention the word margin and mine life the two m's because you could go out and invest in a company that hits two meters of a couple ounces of gold but if it's at a depth of two thousand feet from surface that's extremely high grade but probably low margin to get to low margin because of the infrastructure and and the dollars that have to be spent to reach those ounces and eventually mine them so you're looking for high grade high margin and you're also looking for low grade high margin and so when With our company at Liberty Gold, we're dealing with lower grade oxide gold systems, but they're extremely high margin because they're cheap to build and cheap to produce ounces. So when you look at the overall market, you're looking at, can I make money out of that rock in an average gold market? And several companies uh, have been coming up with numbers in the last, I would say six months, which are real eye-openers for the market because when we haven't really explored since 2012, now there's a, a massive abundance of risk capital finally available for these companies to take these targets and drill them and discoveries are now being made and they and it's really uh, it's accelerating with the amount of new discoveries that we're seeing
0: well let's move into liberty gold here cal i think that's a good transition uh let's get on with black pine give us the current status near-term plans and In your opinion, uh, is this deposit shaping up to be tier one at this point?
1: Yeah, it most certainly is shaping up to be tier one. Um, This is only, I guess we are just over a year and a half into uh, drilling off this discovery. We're at round hole number 210 in it right now. And um, everywhere uh, our VPX Moira Smith has been drilling on her projections geologically where this oxide system is and to depth below the limits of historical drilling, she's hit on 100% of her targets. She has not missed yet. And last year we found um, the D1 and D2 discoveries, high-grade oxide gold discoveries at depth, and that propelled the company's market cap higher. This year she hit on her first target, the D3, and that's another high-grade oxide gold uh, zone, but in a different stratigraphical level than the other two discoveries. She's also confirmed that this is an extremely, stratigraphic or stratigraphy controlled oxide gold system and the previous operators in the 90s did not understand that. So we're seeing stacking uh, following geological units. Uh, We can get five up to ten zones above a 0.2 gram cutoff in a 400 meter vertical hole when all the historical holes were only drilled to a depth of 92 meters. And when you start hitting these zones, that's great, you're building ounces, but when you hit one of the higher grade feeder fault corridors, you can get 40, 50, 80 meters of over a gram up as high as three, four grams in these, in these, um, in these oxide intercepts. So the size of the program is really accelerated. Um, she stepped out three kilometers and tested a target called a range front and hit 55 meters of 0.49 grams of oxide. And that's now you've got to drill that three kilometer gap when you have time. And then she's moved over a kilometer to something called the F zone and hit 22 meters of 2.21 grams sitting right at surface so that's a massive volume of rock that's got to be linked into the main discovery area. And plus, we're testing another six or seven regional targets this year, just to try to get our our, our arms wrapped around the, the volume of rock we're dealing with that contains oxide
0: gold. Okay, and talk just for a moment so the listeners can get an idea here. What are we talking in terms of these series of deposits, I guess, and discoveries? Uh, what's the radius we're talking about in terms of kilometers or miles?
1: in the permitted area we're drilling right now, it covers 7.2 square, 7.8 square kilometers, something like that. you 7.2. And we've, add, we've put in for a permit application to expand that to add another 4.6 square kilometers. And it's not a series of deposits, it's one big oxide gold system that carries anomalous gold everywhere, but we're looking for gold above a 0.2 gram cutoff grade. And so The five historical pits that were in the first permitted area, we now now know and have confirmed as part of the exact same gold system. And when you look at it on a regional scale now with geochemistry and historical drilling and exploration, we put it all together. The overall oxide system is 14 square kilometers. And it's not an exaggeration. That's based on drilling. Historical drilling of a database with over 1,800 drill holes, plus over 200 of our own Plus historical geochemistry mapping everything, so it's turned into be, in terms of scale, what I think it it backs up your comment that uh, asking if this would be a tier one discovery yeah, it clearly fits that mold.
0: It's, it's shaping up nicely, and the resource first resource estimate here, Cal. What's kind of the parameters you guys are looking for before you work up that, and when can the market expect that?
1: yeah we're hoping to get the first resource out maybe in q1 of next year and the reason it gets deferred is basically we keep finding gold and you want to pit constrain those ounces into um into into an ultimate resource out uh deposit so you can go ahead say 50 meters of a gram it's certainly not going to be a one gram gold deposit Because there's a massive volume of rock sitting above it and often below it that contains 0.2 to 0.4 gram rock. Because those are economic, theoretically economic tons, that's going to bring the average grade of your deposit lower, okay? So, but if you remove those tons, even though you can make a profit from them, you're throwing free cash flow into waste up. You cannot do that. You want to go and take a look at using a higher cutoff grade of say 0.5 grams and see how many ounces above a gram of oxide gold are sitting in that subset in how many tons. So if it costs you eight bucks a ton US to mine, strip, process a 0.2 gram ton, it's not a lot of money. And 0.2 of a gram is worth about, I don't know, 14, $15 with the recoveries we get. Then you cost you $8, your margin at 0.2 a gram could be five, $6 a ton. That's what low grade high margin rocks come out to. But if you're looking at an intercept of three gram material, it's still gonna cost you $8 to process, but three grams is $160, $170 rock. And you're gonna recover $145 to $150 of it. That's why you have to really pay attention to the higher grade cutoff on on the deposit because that's payback of cash flow. And that speeds up the payback of your CapEx when you build one of these operations. So that kind of gives you a feeling for it. The second point is there are so many samples in the assay labs in the Great Basin because so much risk capital has been raised and so many samples going into the lab that we face a massive backlog of assays. So we can go in a single drill shift and delivers on average 15 to 17 holes to the lab Before the next drill shift is done, if you deliver the 15 to 17 holes, we might have got eight holes back from the lab. So all of these holes are required when you finish drilling at the end of November, early December. All of those drill holes are required to go into your resource estimate. So if you don't go and get all these numbers back until, say, the end of January, that's when you can hit the enter button to start looking at what your resource is going to come out at. That's the only way you can do it, because if you don't include all the holes, you're, you could theoretically be throwing ounces out of a resource. And remember, for 43101 compliance reasons, the resource has to be open pit constrained. It can't be a global inventory of the entire property. That's not the way it works under under the securities rules.
0: Right. And just for the audience, to talk about just the comparative nature of what we have at Black Pine, that what's been discovered so far, versus going back into the various trends in Nevada, Cal. Talk about just briefly the grades that you guys are getting and how this is really shaping up to be probably superior to what's been seen in Nevada.
1: Okay. Well, the average production grade in the open pits in the Great Basin from recorded num- numbers issued by the public producers, is around uh, 0.3 to 0.42 grams, 0.45 grams. And that's how low grade these deposits are and they're massive earth moving operations and they have extremely high margins. The average recoveries for those deposits are 70.53%. That's how much gold you get out. So if you had one gram of gold, you're gonna get 0.7053 of the gold leachable from those rocks. Our two metallurgical tests that we put out are just over 80% recoveries. So these rocks will leach really, really well, and now you just have to figure out the volume of rocks that you're dealing with before you start even considering throwing an economic number at this discovery.
0: And let's talk a little bit about non-core assets for a moment. The final Turkish asset, a TV tower, Cal, what's your thoughts on potential value for that interest? Um, and when do you see a potential sale happening there?
1: I'm not sure how I'm going to monetize that asset yet. And the Halila asset has been sold. That closed on the 13th of August. And we got another $6 million U.S. into our treasury. And then we get $6 million U.S. That's bank guaranteed on August the 15th, 2021 and 22. The TV Tower, we control 60% of it. And there's one uh, target there, a porphyry copper gold target that was discovered in 2015 and the geophysics were suddenly done on it. And it was on the edge of a major IP anomaly. And we think that target could be material. So we're looking at drilling a hole or two into that because we don't think we can minimize the value of that asset uh, by drilling a couple test holes because if it's what our geologists think it could be, if it turned out to be a, a copper gold discovery a porphyry of some sort, um, it could increase the value of the assets were where we to sell it or it could be uh, valuable enough to keep for the company and try to figure out how to how to structurally separate it in a public market from Liberty gold that makes Liberty gold clean. It would be effectively the gold strike deposit in Utah and the black pine discovery in Idaho cash and receivables. And then I just got to, I need about three or four months to think out that process. I really do. And just take a look at what the rocks look like and revisit a a property scale study from North America to Turkey and then figure out what to do with that asset. Because the asset we just sold is only 13 kilometers away and it's a porphyry copper gold and that's going into production. So this one's a bit of a different scenario because TV Tower it has the third-largest silver deposit in Turkey on it, with copper and gold, and three confirmed porphyry copper gold discoveries and two confirmed high-grade oxide systems there that all haven't been drilled out in total. So, how do you value that asset and not give it up in a fire sale? And I'm un- in the current uh, market with metal prices. I'm unwilling to give up that asset uh, and just to get it off the books. Not at this point.
0: I think that makes sense, and the company's doing very well, not in a position to offer up anything for on the cheap. What about uh, other further monetizations done in the Great Basin with some other non-core projects that have been put out to others? Can you just discuss those? And of course, now everything's been drilled down to focus on the two key company assets.
1: Yeah, we've moved five assets out in the Great Basin. Uh, well, four in the Great Basin and one in Turkey, being the Halila Porphyry Copper Gold deposit uh, last month. Uh, we've moved one project, um, uh, the Kinsley deposit, to a company who's really putting a uh, uh, a really detailed multi-drill exploration test on that asset. And and it wasn't oxide gold for Liberty, and we wanted to keep Liberty pure oxide because there's so so little of it, and we didn't have the time to go spend millions of dollars on it and and be working on three projects at the same time. So that went for about an aggregate cash and stock of seven and a half million dollars US plus a 1% NSR. And we got 9.5% of that company. Then we moved a royalty to a royalty company for $800,000 US, it was an NPI royalty and we had a couple million in the money warrants that's worth about 2 million US uh, on that as well. So that asset was moved out. Uh, then I moved another project, uh, a, a small-pass producer, to a company for uh, some cash and 9.5% of their company and a 1% NSR with no buyout. And last week, we moved the Baxter Spring project to a company. And Baxter had a unique target on it, but it was a deeper sulfide target. It was a big target. And uh, so we moved that out for half a million dollars. That should close in a couple of weeks. A U.S. over 12 months, 19.5% of that company post consolidation and post financing. And they've got commitments for $5 million now is what I was told that this morning. And a 2% NS- NSR in the project with no buyout right, and also a small back end right if they were to find something over the next three years. And that leaves me with maybe three or four minor projects to, um, to move uh, into uh, a more grassroots exploration program. And then we're companies structured perfectly And uh, so that's where I want to leave it by the end of this year.
0: Yes, and the terms that happened, fantastic, I think, for Liberty shareholders. So I think you you got the better end of the deals on that, Cal. So well done for your efforts on that. Well, last time we chatted, it was $1,500 gold. What about gold strike here, Cal? What is the motivation of management to enact development in parallel with black pine work, which obviously will still take time to delineate? What's your thoughts on forward strategy? with the current capitalization of the company at about 530 million Canadian.
1: The after-tax IRR in that project is about 41.4% at $1,500 gold to produce 95,000 ounces of gold for seven and a half years. Uh, Average grade is 0.48 grams and that's diluted, assuming a mining scenario. And the recoveries are 78% of your leachable gold CapEx to build it was $113.2 million U.S. with a um, payback period of 1.8 years. And that's, we're not going up to $1,700 or $1,900 gold because every time you go up in a $200 income, the after-tax IRR goes up by 11 points and the after-tax NPV pops by about $85 million U.S. So as it stands now, what we're doing together on both Black Pine and on GoldStrike because we're putting in weather stations early. And that's a deliverable that's needed in the event that you want to put one of these deposits and fast track it into production. Um, we're budgeting right now to take a look at the budget of what it would do to take gold strike through pre-feasibility over a year and a half. And we have that, those budget numbers. I just, I'm just not going to give them up over the phone. And trying to work that in to infill drill, take it to a 10-year mine life cycle and drill the the historical heaps, see how much leachable gold remains on them, do some more metallurgy, and then go to final planning to build the mine. Because in the heap leach, you don't need to go to full feasibility. pre is what you need. And the resource that we've got there now is 75% M&I anyhow. So taking the, the entire resource uh, to M&I for making uh, a decision on whether you want to uh, actually put it into production or find a, uh, some sort of plan of arrangement to give it to the shareholders and build a mine. Uh, because a 100,000 ounce producer today is $900 million, one $1 billion market cap, provided you're in production, right? So that's kind of something we're just doing over right now, but there's no way in the world that we're going to slow down the expansion of the black pine oxide gold system. It's just so big and so unique. So. It's kind of we're juggling three major projects now between TV Tower, Gold Strike and Black Pine and seeing how they all fit into the picture. And and the last time this company financed was at $0.55 cents last year. And we haven't needed to finance at all. Our treasury is substantially higher at just over $18 million Canadian. And we've got $40 million of asset transactions that to that aggregate in, in shares and stock. That means we're just not diluting their shareholders back by issuing paper and uh, with warrants and things like that. We don't need that. And um, on top of the cash in the Treasury, we have approximately 20 million Canadian of in-the-money warrants that are in the money by over 200% that will logically come in, I think, over the next 12 months. So theoretically, at the end of this year, even though we're doing all this work, we should have near the amount of money that we have in our Treasury today with with incoming warrant payments etc and then there's i think another 15 million us of deliverables that are non-dilutional coming in in 2021 as well so we're structured well to keep the structure nice and clean and then uh and and just stick on the assets that, that hopefully will improve uh, shareholder value
0: i want to bring that up because you know 113 million capex on gold strike not a lot of work left to to get done there and as you said Pre-fees is, is sufficient and just fantastic numbers and fast to cash flow. And as you know, free cash flow at that. What do you think the time frame would be if you guys focus towards that as being a sustaining cash flow to move the company forward and never needing to come back to the market?
1: That's something we're going to have to internally scope because once you figure out roughly where you stand ounce wise on, on Blackpine. You then have to look at a, at, a, at a scenario where you're bringing one on and then another one on two years later, as an example. And when you go look at if the payback period sub two years, you, you don't need to do a build something like uh, like Goldstrike with on an all equity basis. You can do that on 50 50 debt and equity, right? So you maybe only need 55 million US in hard dollars that's spent over time, and then you can do the rest in debt. And in, in you can get better debt terms if you're going to get debt in North America than you're going to get in a third world country because of the geopolitical association and risks involved with with operating a mine in and, and kind of uh, different jurisdictions that are not as stable as North America.
0: Yeah, it's definitely an attractive asset and a way to, to start getting cash flow and become an operating company. And just, just speak to just for a moment, uh, Cal, as far as you covered cash, and and obviously we know that there's more cash coming in in 2021. I believe you covered the uh, the shares outstanding uh, and major shareholders at this point.
1: Well, shares outstanding currently sits around 247 million shares outstanding. The major shareholders are largely institutional, uh, over 45% of the company is owned uh, by uh, resource funds, at this point, that are reporting resource funds. There's a lot of funds that are in there that are non-reporting, they don't have to publish their ownership uh, numbers. Uh, but I would say at the 45%, uh, nicely over half of that would be the five largest gold, start, uh, gold funds in the United States, all owning big positions. Management owns 6.8% of the company and um, there's a bit of insider buying. There's been no, sh- since I joined the company in 2016, there's been no management sale of any shares. Uh, Newmont owns 5.6% of the company. That's a historical legacy position that they um, they received in 2011 when they took over our predecessor company, Frontier Gold for the Long Canyon deposit. Tech Corporation used to have a position or 4% of the company. And I took them out of their shares. Uh, I would think in January and January and March of this year in two tranches, and those tranches went to the three largest gold funds in the United States, one largest res- large resource fund out of London. So the institutional ownership just keeps picking up and picking up, and it's good because it's it's in good solid hands. And um and there's some big private investors as well that are are been taking positions in the market because so they recognize primarily what Black Pine is.
0: And the interest in the company, Cal, from maybe mid-tiers and majors at this point, I mean, obviously, we know Newmont is still there as a holder. What's your thoughts on exit strategy for the company? Do you see that this is something that's going to be developed uh, in-house at Liberty? Or do you guys really see that the best route makes sense really as a a sell-off to a a mid-tier or a major for the purposes of these assets?
1: Well, you always explore these projects, especially uh, the big ones like Uh, Black Pine and and Gold Strike is by far no slouch because there's not many of those deposits left either. You always uh, approach both projects like you're going to mine them and you go through the de-risking process. And by de-risking, that can be environmental impact studies. It could be uh, securing water rights and different permits and weather stations, uh, community relations, ESG governance. All of this stuff all gets, has to be worked on at the same time. And all of this is part of a de-risking process because producing mining companies want the, you know, the nuisance work done for them. So moving out Halila in Turkey is, is a benefit to the company, not just financially, but if if somebody who's looking at Liberty One Day does not want any exposure to Turkey, that, that process has been looked after for them. All these other subsidiary projects, that's things that they would normally not even look at unless there was a discovery on them of any significance. And remember a discovery for an intermediate has to be 100 to 150,000 ounce potential producer with a minimum of 2 million ounces. A discovery on a tier one deposit needs to have a minimum 15 to 20, hopefully 25 year mine life where you're looking at a minimum of 200,000 ounces of annual production. They want mine life. And you can see the declining uh, production numbers on a global basis. These companies have not replaced their, their what they've been mining for the last since, since 2012, because no expiration was that, and all the in-company expirations were based on building brownfield resources from their operating mines just to keep them operating. So it's a very interesting time. I've never seen a gold market like this since I've been in the business since 1990. So it's, it'll be fascinating to see how it where it goes from here.
0: Yeah, certainly agreed. And and I'm sure Uncle Mark uh, over at Barrick is, is looking at stuff and obviously Newmont's uh, looking around and it's all nearby what they've got going in the Great Basin. And two fantastic jurisdictions I would point out in Idaho and Utah. Well, Cal, let's move on here. Uh, potential investors who are on the sidelines and for existing shareholders, what would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels?
1: No president and CEO is allowed to put out a a recommendation to buy or sell their securities. It's, it's a securities rule. But with regards to Liberty, it's going to be effectively nonstop news flow every few weeks or so of, of results, results, results. And then on top of that would be a resource estimate and then more metallurgy, then more results. Um, and and then then you throw in the TV tower, uh, a project in Turkey into the mix. And monetization of other assets, so the company is just is pretty consistent at at releasing numbers on an annualized basis and informing their shareholders as to what's going on and um, but it's still um, like any other company in this sector, if the gold price drops by fifty dollars an ounce tomorrow, everybody in this sector is affected on, to the downward. It's just the human nature of public markets. The gold price is up by fifty dollars everything works its way higher. But what you just have to keep figuring out is how many ounces are in the ground and you and are the ounces backstopping the market cap of any public company.
0: Agree, 100% and volatile. It'll be bumpy, but I think we're headed higher. Well, Cal, we'll leave it here. Fantastic. Thanks for the update on Liberty and always a pleasure speaking with you. Stay well out there.
1: Yeah, will do and, and take care and, and thanks uh, so much.